The Gospel According to Matthew is our message today. I'm calling this one The Handoff, and it's Matthew 28, 16 through 20, 16 through 20. All right. During the, the, uh, the 12 years that Stony Brook offered upward flag football and cheerleading to our community, I had the, the distinct privilege of coaching several kindergarten first grade teams. David hadn't looked up yet. <laughs> uh, this, was, this was my first team uh, back in 2007. Uh, uh, both David and I looked a lot younger then. Uh, and then... The, and then there's Jonathan, Jonathan Nolet uh, was also helping us that year. All these guys are grown now, um, and uh, uh, it'd be interesting to see what's going on in their lives right now. But this was that very first year that we, that we had the program. But I, I was privileged to coach many years in the kindergarten, first grade division. That was one of our, our divisions that we had, uh, and um, everybody on the team was either in kindergarten, either five years old, six years old, something like that. Huh, that was the best. That was the best. Um, now, what I quickly discovered about kindergarten first grade players is that most of them knew nothing about football. I mean, nothing. Uh, now, they, they, well, they knew what a football was. So if, like if I held up a basketball and a football, they could say, well, that's the football. That, they knew that. But beyond that, most of them knew nothing about football, uh, which meant that uh, David and I had to teach them everything, <laughs> everything. Um, now, I'm not sure this is true. And I am, well, I am sure this is true uh, in, in any other sports when you're dealing with kindergarten, first grade. And I'm talking about first-time players. You know, I know some kids play in, even younger than that. But if this is their first time playing, you know, you've got you've to do this for any sport. Like, like in baseball, you've got to teach them that you, after you hit the ball, you run to first base, not third base. Uh, which I've seen kids do before. Uh, uh, so, you, you know, you're not born knowing how to do all these things, right? You have to be taught just like anything else. So, so this lack of knowledge in sports is true in all, all sports for little guys, for those first-timers. Um, but, but football, compared to other sports, in, in my opinion, is a pretty complicated sport, you know, compared to, say, basketball. Uh, you know, and, and beyond the basics, like, like what is offense, what is defense, what is a touchdown, you had to teach them. They had no idea what offense and defensive was. They'd heard the word touchdown, but they didn't know what it meant. <laughs> um, you know, there, beyond just the basics of, of football, there were so many rules that, that, that you had to learn. You had to learn it, you had to understand it, and then you had to follow it. Um, and, and so understanding uh, these kind of things were, were, were a challenge. Like, what is the line of scrimmage? The line of scrimmage is very important in football. You've got to understand what that is. So helping them understand what the line of scrimmage is and how that works when you're on offense and de defense. Illegal motion, um, uh, offside, well, that was a challenge. Pass interference, um, forward pass. It's not just throwing it forward, but in upward is forward across the line of scrimmage. So you had to know what a forward pass was and what the line of scrimmage was. Um, you know, and, and there were unique upward flag football rules as well that they had to learn. Like, like you have to wait until the quarterback gets rid of the ball before the defense can cross the line of scrimmage, unless you're the designated rusher. 
Uh, and so that was, that was a, a challenge to, to help them understand that. Flag guarding, keeping your hands uh, down around your flag so people can't get to it. You know, what, what a first down is, first downs, you know, that, that's one thing you have to teach, but then how do you get a first down in flag football as opposed to other football? Um, so it was a lot, a lot for five- and six-year-olds to soak in. Uh, so we spent most of the year trying to help them just understand the game. That was the challenge. Well, a, a, a couple of particular cha- challenges were uh, for me in, uh, as a kindergarten, first-grade coach was one was just helping them understand which direction to run in, uh, you know, when, when they got the ball. Uh, and are, this is the right direction, and you had to help them understand why you run in that direction as opposed to the other direction. Uh, I, I discovered that at first the guys just ran around. They had no clue about a purpose for running in a direction. They were just trying to get away from the people trying to get their flag. Whatever, whatever that took, it didn't matter what direction you went in. Uh, so that was important. Um, and again, who can cross the line of scrimmage and when, when you're on defense? That was, a, that was a challenge, always a challenge. And one of the big ones was the quarterback running back exchange, the handoff. The handoff. That was, that was a challenge. Now, the handoff is one of the most basic uh, football moves there is. Here's, a, here's a, a college, just like college players, right in the midst of the handoff right there. Um, uh, in, in the upward handoff, there, there's three players involved. There's the center, there's the quarterback, and then there's the running back. Uh, now, the quarterback receives the snap from the center. You had to, you had to explain what snap meant. That's when you hike the ball, and you had to explain what a center was. He's the guy who hikes the ball. Uh, so you had the, the quarterback receives a snap from the center, and then the quarterback, he's the guy who gets the snap. He's the first person to get the ball in a football play. The quarterback takes the ball and turns with the ball either to the right or to the left, uh, depending on what side the handoff is supposed to take place in. And, and then he prepares to give the ball to the third player, uh, uh, the running back. Now, the running back is the player that's in the backfield. And you had to explain what the backfield was. The backfield is that part right behind of the field behind the quarterback. Uh, he's going to take the ball from the quarterback and run towards the end zone to score a touchdown. That's, that's the basic running, running uh, handoff play. Now, that seems simple, right? It seems simple, it, uh, you, you would think. Take the snap, turn around, give the ball to the running back. Um, he runs toward the end zone. Hey, we can do that, right? We can do that. It, it seems simple, but, but at least for me, maybe it was just me and uh, my lack of ability to coach. But it never was simple for these guys, uh, for me teaching it anyway. I always seem to struggle getting the center, the quarterback, and the running back to sync up to achieve a smooth effective handoff football exchange getting the center to snap the ball quickly uh, and smoothly uh, uh, because the, the quarterback would say hike and maybe he'd hike it and maybe he wouldn't uh, having the quarterback then turn in the right direction we're, we're going to do it to the right so turn to the right not the left, um, while the running back simultaneously moves towards where the ball's going to be 
taking the ball uh, and running on for a touchdown. You know, there's a lot of moving parts in the quarterback exchange, and it was a challenge for them to do it smoothly. So often what would happen is, as I said, the center would be delayed in hiking. The quarterback's saying, hike, hike, hike. And the quarterback, the center's just sitting there. A lot of times, as the coach would say, hey, man, hike the ball. (laughs) Uh, So while while the the quarterback's waiting for the ball, the running back's already moving towards to receive the ball, but it's not there yet because the center hadn't hiked it. Uh, Or... The quarterback gets the ball, and he turns to the right, but the running back's running to the left. Uh, And and what usually happened, what most often happened was, the quarterback and the running back just ran into each other. (laughs) That's what usually happened. Uh, And either the the ball would be fumbled, or they'd be tackled in the backfield very quickly. So it, it was a challenge. The kindergarten, first grade handoff was often a challenge to achieve sometimes. There was one coach that last year we did in 2019. I can't remember what his name was, but somehow he had magic. He had magic. And he was able to get that done where I never could, and, I, and a lot of people struggled with that. Um, now, while the handoff seemed difficult for me to effectively teach kindergarten first graders, I, I, want, I want to talk about a handoff this morning that was brilliantly accomplished by a great quarterback. In fact, the greatest quarterback of all time. And I'm not talking about Tom Brady here. Uh, no, I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus didn't play football. In fact, the, the game wouldn't be invented for another 2,000 years after him. But he was, you could say, the quarterback of his team. And his team was the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, uh, his, his followers, his students. And in a real sense, Jesus was also like a player coach. You know, some, sometimes uh, in, in sports there can be a player coach, a guy that coaches, but he also plays in the game. Um, uh, and, and so Jesus, he taught and he ministered himself. He was in the game himself. But at the same time, he was trying to teach the disciples how to play the game, uh, what the game was all about, why they were even playing the game in the first place. In many ways, the disciples were very much like a kindergarten, first grade player. They had to learn almost everything about the kingdom of God that Jesus was there to establish and to build. The disciples were often confused and running in the wrong direction. They would often run into each other and into Jesus as they were trying to do what was right, what Jesus was teaching them. But Jesus was patient. I, hope, I like to think I was patient with my, with my guys, but Jesus certainly was patient with them. Um, he, understand, he understood this was all new to these guys. His disciples, um, you know, were, were, it was brand new to them. Everything had to be learned. And, and basically, he spent the whole season, the whole season, the three-year ministry that they were in, uh, trying to help them understand the game. One of the cool things about coaching kindergarten first grade teams was observing them throughout the season and noticing towards the end of the season that things were beginning to click. Okay, I see what we're doing here. I see what we're doing here. Uh, When the game started to make sense to these little guys uh, and gals sometimes. 
they started to understand why they were out on the field uh, and, and, and why they were out there running around. I mean, in those first couple of games, they really had no clue, a lot of them, why they were even out there running around. A lot of times, uh, as soon as the game started, the, the, uh, one of them would say, hey, when, when is this going to be over? <laughs> you know, uh, the big thing was the snacks at the end. I mean, that was, that was the big thing. Um, and th- there was a time, though, during the, towards the end of the season when some of them would be saying, uh, hey, hey, we've got the ball, which means we're on offense. Uh, and, and, and we're trying to move the ball towards our end zone, which is the one in front of us, not the one behind us. Okay, I get it now. I'm the running back, and my job is to take the ball and score for my team in my end zone. You know, uh, and so what we saw was the team during the last game of the season was very, very different than the team in the first game of the season. Uh, as they're learning. And that's what the whole purpose of Upward was, especially that division, was just introducing the game to these guys and helping them learn about it and enjoy it. Uh, the disciples struggled all along to grasp all that Jesus was trying to tell them, uh, all that he was doing, what his mission was, and, and how he, he would accomplish his mission. And even up and immediately after his death and resurrection, the disciples were still struggling to grasp what Jesus was all about. Before they saw Jesus, uh, after his resurrection uh, from the dead, uh, we see that they were all huddled in fear, hiding. Uh, this Jesus had already raised, resurrected from the grave, but they didn't know it yet, and, and they were scared to death for their lives. Let's read about that, John 20, 19 through 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You know, it was perhaps right here, maybe, that it all started to click. Okay, okay. I see what you're doing here, Jesus. Because it's at this moment, that we're going to read in just a minute, that Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit who began to help them see more clearly. I needed the Holy Spirit to give to these players um, back then. Uh, Maybe that would have helped. But they they received the Holy Spirit, uh, and they could start to see things clearly. Uh, They could see, hey, okay, Jesus is not a military leader at all. Uh, Jesus wasn't here to save us from the Romans. He was here to save us from our sins and from death and save the world from their sins and death. You know, all those things, all those things that their coach had been trying to teach them the past three years, uh, when he told them that he would be arrested and tried and tortured and killed, and it didn't make sense back then, when he told them that he would rise from the, the grave on the third day, uh, right along here maybe, it was all starting to clear up in their minds what it all meant. And there Jesus stood before them, uh, alive and well. He showed them his scars uh, that they had healed. And and he stood there not wearing armor and carrying a sword. No, he was carrying peace. Peace. And with this clearer understanding of the game now, 
Jesus began right here, the handoff. The handoff. It actually started when he appeared to them there. Let's read further, John 20, 21, 23. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. You know, when Jesus was, was still with them at this time, uh, you know, that, that they, he was starting to hand the ball off. But just in a few days, he was going to leave them. And he's going to return to his Father in heaven. And now that the mission was clearer in their minds, it was time for them to take the ball and begin to run with it. You know, with their training and with the presence of the Holy Spirit, now the disciples, with clearer understanding of their mission, was about to take the ball and start heading towards the end zone. In the final verse of the Gospel of Matthew, as we worked our way through parts of, the, of this great gospel uh, over the last several weeks, we see the final handoff from coach to player, from teacher to student, from Messiah to disciple, apostle. You know, Jesus had done the work uh, while he was here. He, Jesus did the work that only Jesus could do. He became a man. He chose disciples to teach so that they could take over when he was gone. He proved who he was by his miracles, uh, as, as Mike pointed out in the communion meditation. Uh, he, he lived a perfect life. He allowed himself to be arrested, tried, tortured, crucified. He died. He paid for our sins with that death. He rose from the grave and defeated death. And now all that was left for Jesus was now to return to his Father. The work of Jesus was done here on earth. Yet, before he left, there was one last thing that Jesus needed to do. The handoff. The handoff. It was time to turn the mission completely over to the disciples. Uh, it would be now their job to fulfill the, the next phase of the mission. Let's read about it. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. We often call it the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You know, Jesus was and is the leader of this great mission. Uh, the mission to save the world from their sins. All authority in heaven and on earth, he said, had been given to him. He earned it. He earned it. He earned it by the work that he did. His death, burial, resurrection. He had the authority to do what needed to be done. In football, you know, the quarterback is in charge, basically, uh, of the play, of the play on the field. The quarterback decides what's next 
after he receives the ball from the center. You know, the quarterback can do various different things. It's up to him. He can run. He couldn't run in upward. That was against the rules. But in normal football, the quarterback can run. He can throw. He can throw a pass. He can pitch it to somebody. He can hand it off to somebody. If the ball is going to move down the field, the quarterback can't just stand there with it. No, he's got to do something with the ball. Well, Jesus' mission, the salvation of all mankind, could not be accomplished all by himself. He did the hard work. He did the necessary work. Uh, the, The vital work of being our sacrifice. But now... He needed help uh, to take that message, his message, that wonderful good news, and share it with the world. Jesus needed some help with that. He needed to hand it off to his followers. The plan, or the play, you might say, was very simple. Start with the disciples. That'll be the first part of the play. We'll start with these 11 men. At that time, there was only 11. Later, Matthias would join them and make them a dozen again. But right now, it was just 11. Uh, They had been trained for three years for this handoff. And on the day of the handoff, Jesus gathered his team on a mountainside. There was was the 11, but there was also other disciples there as well, not just the 11. Um, His physical presence was about to leave them that day. Now, he'd still be with them spiritually in the form of the Holy Spirit, but his physical presence was about to leave them. So, just before he left, he gave them the play. Had the whiteboard, and he he, uh, he diagrammed it out on the whiteboard. And it started with this, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, verse 19. Now, what did that mean? What did that mean? Go and tell people about me with the goal of convincing them to do the same thing that you're doing. Convince them, motivate them, persuade them to follow me. That's the first part of the play. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, how do you do that? How do you make disciples? Well, basically, you tell them the greatest news of all time. That's it. You tell them the greatest news of all time. Tell them what Jesus did for them. The Son of God died for their sins. And if you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, the sin that eternally separates all of us from God for eternity, your sin will be forgiven. And the result will be an eternity at peace in the presence of God. That's That's how you make disciples. Making disciples doesn't have to be some big song and dance and production. You know, it doesn't have to be a trick play, a triple reverse or a running back pass. You know, it doesn't have to be some kind of, it doesn't have to have lots of bells and whistles, the the play. No, all you need is the message, just the message. The message alone is motivation enough. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, as you, I'm sure, talked about a couple of weeks ago recently. um, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, the message, 
has the power to save you. And that's all you need. It's just a message. Tell people about me. That will motivate them to be my disciples. And once they decide to follow me, then use this identifying act to seal the deal. Baptize them. Baptize them. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know if you're a true follower of Jesus? How do you know? How can you say, yep, I know for sure I'm a true follower of Jesus? Well, you decide that you believe that he's your Savior. You make that decision. You decide you're going to place your faith and trust in him to save you from your sins. You make that decision in your heart and in your mind. You you make that decision. You're going to do it by faith. You're going to accept Jesus as your Savior. But then at what moment does it happen? When does it happen? Is it when you get some shiver down your back or, you know, you feel the wind blow? Or, I mean, when does it, what is the time and the place, the moment? How do you know when that moment is? The Bible makes it simple. It's at your baptism. It's at your baptism. That's when you know. That's when you know. We see this the very first time the disciples shared the the good news of Jesus after they received the ball from Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter and the other 11, now there's 12 of them because Matthias joined them. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, Peter and the 11 stood before a crowd that had gathered there to preach this, the very first gospel sermon, the very first gospel sermon, the very first time that Jesus was preached as Savior. Peter told them all about their Savior Jesus that day. Read Acts chapter 2. And they believed it. Many of them in the crowd believed it and decided they wanted to become disciples, followers of Jesus. Right then, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? We believe, now what do we do about it? And Peter told them this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you do. You you believe the message I just gave you? This is what you do. Repent. Decide to change. Decide to turn and do things God's way from now on. And be baptized. And if you do that, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of your sins. And on that very first day, 3,000 people, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. 3,000 people decided to place their faith in Jesus and were baptized that day. Okay, they're off now. They're off. Headed down the field. Headed down the field. But the play isn't over yet. Deciding to follow Jesus is just the first step. What comes after that? What comes after that in the play? Well, Jesus told him that too as he's diagramming on the whiteboard. Verse 20, baptize them and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Being a follower of Jesus is not a one-time event that you experience one time and you're done. A lot of people look at it that way. 
But no, being a follower of Jesus is a lifetime commitment to Jesus. A lifetime commitment to Jesus and to his teaching. A follower of Jesus commits himself or herself to not just believing in Jesus, but serving him and obeying him. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In in order to keep Jesus' commandments, his followers have to be taught his commandments. Guys couldn't play football until they were taught how to play football. If you want to keep Jesus' commandments, you've got to be taught. Uh, that's part three of the play for the twelve. Persuade people to follow Jesus. Just tell them the good news. That's all you've got to do. Baptize them, and then teach them. Teach them. Again, if Jesus diagrammed it on the whiteboard, that's what it would look like with the X's and O's. After the handoff, Jesus assured them that he would always be with them. Don't worry, guys. I'm not going to just leave you here by yourself. I'm going to be with you. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, I'm going to be with you. And then he left them. He left them. Jesus ascended into the sky and eventually disappeared in the clouds and returned to his Father. What a sight that must have been as they're all standing there. He he returned back to his spiritual state that he had been in before he had become a man. So imagine what that must have been like for the 12 and all the others who were standing there, the 11 and all that were standing there um, after Jesus was gone. They're all just, you know, I can just imagine like, you know, my, my mouths wide open, just staring up into the sky. Nobody's talking. Just silence for a long time. As there's, where, where'd he go? He was just there. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Just staring. The book of Acts tells us what happened next. In Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 1, 10 and 11, after they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Hey guys, snap out of it. Snap out of it. What are you doing just standing here looking up in the air? Don't worry, he's coming back. He's coming back. In the meantime, you got your orders, you got your play, let's get to work. Let's get to work. And of course they did. They got to work big time. They began to implement the play that Jesus had given them. And the book of Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament is the story of how that happened, of how that play went in those early days. So in the coming weeks, we're going to take a look at at what happened after the handoff. That's what we're going to start talking about. How the disciples began to move the ball down the field, the the gospel down the field. And in doing so, we're, we're going to see how we can move that same gospel down the field today. Because the play continues, doesn't it? Here's what reality tells us. Jesus handed the ball off to the disciples. They were the first ones to take the gospel and share it and teach it. But of course, they were not immortal, were they? No, they were human beings just like you and me. They all died, every single one of them. 
But before they died, they did the same thing Jesus did. They handed the mission off to those who came after them. In fact, those 3,000 that were baptized on that first day, you know, a good number of them became carriers of the gospel too. And, and they weren't just the preachers and the elders. No, they were just the Christians. In fact, Jesus organized all these people into a group. It's called the church. Every person who decided to follow Jesus became a part of the church, of his church. And together, they carried on the work first given to the disciples and now to them. And 2,000 years later, you and I are a part of that very same group, the church, sometimes called the body of Christ. And today it's our job to run the play, the same play. It hasn't changed at all to tell people in our lives the good news of Jesus and to let that news persuade them to follow Jesus. Just like them, we don't need a bunch of bells and whistles and big productions either. You know, the good news of Jesus is still as powerful today as it was then. We tell them, we baptize them, we teach them, we run the play. The handoff continues with you and with me and with generations that come after us. And like the disciples standing on the side of that hill staring up into the sky, you know, as you and I sit in this building today, the angel could say to us, hey, what are you guys doing just sitting there? What are you doing just sitting there? Jesus is coming back. Don't worry about that. You got work to do. I got work to do. Get up. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. Run the play. So here's the, here's the ball. Here's the ball. Let's take it and run the play. Father, I thank you so much for the play. Thank you for the handoff, Lord. Help us to know that that handoff was not just for your disciples. It's for every Christian that accepts you as Savior. Lord, help us to take the ball, to take your word, to take the gospel, to take the wonderful good news to people in our lives that we know, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, people we meet at the gym, uh, just help us, people that are in our lives that, that don't know your son, help us to, to develop relationship with, intentional relationships with them. And as we interact with them, talk about your son, how he's blessed us in our lives and how he can bless them. And so help us to share the good news and help them decide, be persuaded to follow you can baptize them, we can teach them, and then they can carry on the play too. So be with us, Lord, as we do the same thing the disciples did, run the play. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.